Welcome to the Limitless Energy Podcast, and I'm so happy to welcome back to the podcast, Mr. Nigel Calder. Thanks for coming back. Hi, Dennis. Yeah, you you kind of came back. Yes. Um, well, we're, we're kind of still here, too. So mm-hmm. um, I, I very much enjoyed our last conversation um, about your crazy stories and your crazy background. I'm going to get a little technical now, because both you and I serve have served on the um, Lithium-Ion Battery Subcommittee for the ABYC. How long have you been on that, that subcommittee? Well, I, I believe we launched that in 2009. And uh, it's been a long, drawn-out process of pulling teeth to get something onto the books. Whose idea was it to launch it, and, and why was it launched at that point? Well, it's a long time ago, but I have a hunch I was the one that moved that we do this. Not well, one of my roles within the ABYC is to, is to identify emerging technologies mm-hmm. uh, and to try and get a little bit ahead of the game in terms of standards development. I mean, you know, because it takes years to develop a standard. Uh, at a minimum, it's three to five years. So you need to identify these technologies as soon as you can and then get on top of it. So I think it was probably my resolution back in 2009. How did you, what was your introduction to lithium-ion batteries for, for boats? Oh, I had been looking at them prior to that just because of the... Uh, energy density and high charge rates and all the other things that we'll get to talk about, Mm -hmm. the beneficial features. I've been looking at putting them on my own boat to test them. Um, But I also, all those early early generation lithium-ion batteries, the fire Mm -hmm. issue was already a key issue with people. And I wanted to make sure that we had a standard that would address those issues within a marine recreational boating context where the minute you put something on a boat, the boat owners is likely decided to, to to rewire it. And and as you know, you know, you put a lithium-ion battery in a car, you know what the duty cycle and the usage is going to be over the life of the car. You put it in a laptop, it's the same. You put it in a cell phone, you put it on on a boat, and the day after you put it on the boat, the boat owner decides to change something. Yeah, boat so, owners are tinkerers. Right, Absolutely. yes. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I, I wanted to make sure we had something in place that would enable us to take advantage of the technology, but also would mitigate the risk um, mm-hmm. and also mitigate the harm that boat owners could do to themselves. Sure. Yeah. So, well, here we are 14 years later. Yeah. Uh, can you describe the progression of that committee and, and the standards in general? It's been an on, again, on, off again process for, for all that time and trying to figure out uh, what's appropriate in terms of requirements. And in the meantime, the technology is constantly changing. So you don't want to put in place a standard that then ends up being a roadblock to some development that we can't yet see is going to happen. Mm-hmm. So in general, the APYC tries to create what are called performance-based standards, where we don't say how something should be built. We, have, we say what kind of safety standards it needs to comply with. And that's, in general, the, the goal is to create a, a safety-based standard that doesn't tell somebody how to do something, but tells them what it needs to be able to do in order to be safe. Mm-hmm. And that's really hard in the lithium mine world because it's changing all the time, as you know more than anybody. Well, I think that's why I was asked to contribute because we as a company at, at Dragonfly and Battleborn have so many systems out in the field. I mean, a lot of it is empirical. I mean, we've changed things. We've changed logic on the BMS. We've changed you know, certain design elements mm-hmm. because of things that we have seen in the field. And I think that is dif- difficult when you're trying to make standards that are so that are going to be applied so widespread is if you don't have a lot of empirical data, how do you even come up with such standards? 
Well, one of the things I did from fairly early on was invite various people that I knew within lithium-ion battery business to get them on the committee. Because mm -hmm. it's not required to be an ABYC member to be on that those subcommittees. And in fact, uh, I was a guy that suggested we invite you onto the committee. Um, okay. and it, I it, actually didn't even know that. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember who asked me. But. Right. Yes. I was, suggested, I was the one that suggested we invite you. Um, and, it, and it turns out that you have a, a greater depth of technical knowledge than probably anybody else in the, on the committee, uh, which was really valuable, obviously, in, in terms of developing a standard. Well, I think that's what's funny about lithium-ion batteries is there's so much electrochemistry involved in terms of how they perform, but also their safety characteristics. It's not the same as uh, just electrical mm -hmm. uh, components. I mean, yeah. there's chemistry, there's flammability, there, there, there are chemical reactions that can happen that can be detrimental, not just to the life cycle of the battery, but, you know, to, to the safety of the overall system. Yes, uh, and, and, and every you know, time you invite a manufacturer onto the committee, the problem you've got is that they obviously have a vested interest in steering something mm -hmm. in one direction. So then we, we get some really in-depth technical information that we are none of us qualified to judge. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's one of the interesting things about the standards writing process, which I've observed both in Europe and in the US, and particularly in Europe, it's largely bureaucrats that are in the room that have very little idea about the technical details of what they're regulating. The really nice thing about the uh, ABYC process is it's impossible. It's possible to pull in people like yourself, and, and you know we, we invited people from Mastervolt and from Victron and from a couple of other lithium-ion battery companies, so that we get both the technical knowledge and we also get a spread of industry representation, mm -hmm. so that we can kind of balance these things out and come up with a standard that will will uh, stand the test of time, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a similar setup with uh, the RV industry, with the RVIA. We have mm -hmm. all the competing RV companies, the co companies that come in, they self-regulate, they make the standards, and it's important that you leave your business sense at home and you come in and you just try to make standards yeah. that maximize safety for the end user. Yeah. So then we have me. Uh, yeah, and, what are you? Right. So <laughs> ever since I got involved with, with the ABYC in, I think, 1990, uh -huh. The first edition of my boat owner's manual had a bunch of prescriptions in it that violated the ABYC standards. And I got a bunch of snotty letters from the ABYC saying, you can't do this and this is not right. So I went to an ABYC meeting, I think in 1990, the electrical PTC, and there may be six people in the room. And nowadays there's 40 or 50. Uh, and, uh, and I got involved at that point. And that's when I came across the ABYC. Uh, and then I, I realized the importance of, of basically putting together um, just general concepts and knowledge with standards-based education. But also they need people like us that have that practical experience um, to inject that into the standards writing process. So I've always viewed my role in this process as being representing boat owners, and in particular cruising boat owners, people like to go offshore for ex extended periods of time. Yeah, That's no, my core audience. I completely agree. That is your role. And you have, yeah. well, you have the role of both uh, an educator and a student. I mean, you are constantly learning about all the different new technologies, yeah. as, as you noted. You're always trying yeah. to find out about yeah. new new innovations. But you also have a background as an educator for all things electrical and mechanical in boats. Yeah. So I don't want to see 
any roadblocks put in place that would prevent the adoption of new technology. But I want to see us put in place standards uh, that will make sure that as that technology comes to fruition, it's not going to burn the boat on her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> burn it literally. In the literally case. and figuratively, yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't have used that word, should I? Not, <laughs> not in the well, context of lithium right, battery. Yes, we try to avoid yeah, that. Right, yes, I understand that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so that, that's been my, well, put it another way. Um, I've enjoyed a fabulous lifestyle. I've done pretty much whatever I wanted to do all my life. I go on cruising for months at a time. My lifestyle has been funded by the people that buy my books and buy the articles I write and subscribe to Boat Hell 2 or whatever. So I, I view this as a symbiotic relationship. I do the, the homework for my audience, mm-hmm. and in, in buying the fruits of that homework, they support my lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I view my role in the ABYC as kind of like a 100% advocate for the boating community. I kind of feel uh, that the ABYC, correct me if I'm wrong, is a little bit behind in terms of how, pro, how, how widespread the you know, lithium-ion batteries are already on a lot of boats, and also how advanced other industries are. The RV industry is one example. Is, am I misguided in that thinking, or do you No, I think that's inevitable to a large extent, um, because no standards-writing organization wants to invest energy in writing a standard until the, the particular technology is beginning to get real traction in the marketplace. And then it takes three to five years to write standard, at least in this case, 13 or 14 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you're way behind the curve. Uh, and that's a part of the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you need to have a relatively flexible process so that you can correct any uh, imbalance or mistakes or whatever uh, in the process. And that's where I really like the ABYC because when it comes down to it, if there's, if there's issues that they feel need to be addressed in between review processes, which are typically five years apart, mm-hmm. they'll do it. Uh, when you get involved with the European standards writing processes, they're written into law as opposed to the ABYC as voluntary compliance. Once they're written into law, it's a long process to change anything. Mm-hmm. So if you write a standard that really is a technical blocker, uh, which they, they can do, it, it's a huge effort to correct that. I, I do still feel that even in the context of other industries, the ABYC is a little bit more conservative when it comes to trying to, maybe conservative isn't the right word. They are, it's more difficult to implement a standard because the way things are uh, tends to be preserved. So Dennis, we need more people like you involved. <laughs> Just to push the process a little harder. Have I not been obnoxious enough at no, these No, you've been pretty obnoxious. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not true. You've been terrific. But, uh, but it, it all comes down to who's in the room, at, you know, when the decisions are being made. Mm-hmm. The, the room is very open. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty much anybody can show up that has an interest, whether or not they're a member of the ABYC, mm-hmm. and they can participate in the discussion. And most of the time when we take a vote, it's a vote of everybody in the room, regardless of whether or not they're members. Mm-hmm. Uh, only if it looks to be controversial do, do we refine it down to, to members of the committee. Right. Um, but most of the time, uh, that whole discussion is really open. It's a matter of just being in the room and pushing that. And it's not because anybody doesn't want to listen. 
is because that viewpoint, maybe nobody in the room is no, going to present it. Here's what I think it is, because to be fair, everyone's awesome on the committee. Everyone's, <laughs> I, I like everybody. Oh, you're saying, every, this is right, Dennis, you're getting the right words here. <laughs> it's, <laughs> look, it's never been unpleasant to be, to be there, but yes. the, the difference is if you compare to, for example, the RBIA, hmm. uh, there are basically four gigantic yes. RV companies yes. that control most yep. of the market. Yeah. Boat marine boats is very different. Yeah. It's a very fragmented market, yeah. and then I can imagine that there are a lot of smaller outfits mm -hmm. that it would be more difficult to comply. We have fifty people in the room these days, all of whom have an opinion, uh, and there's no restraint on them expressing that opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, it's um, way harder to pull all of this together. Mm -hmm. As I say, when I first the first meeting I went to. There were probably only six people in the room, and I can remember two or three of them, uh, even now. Um, mm -hmm. And so the standards writing process was much easier and faster and more agile. And it's just the world we're in. Well, now the world has changed a little bit because of the uh, popularity of lithium-ion batteries. So and let's talk about that, and let's talk about why... They're such an important technology in boats because that's really what I'm interested. Okay, in. <laughs> all right. Let's 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 talk about yeah. let's talk about lithium in boats. Why yeah. is lithium important in boats? Certainly, we know that we know the benefits uh, when it comes to energy density and um, you know ch charge time, power, all that stuff. How has it affected your life as a boater? Well, let's back it up a little bit. I I got a pretty good sized grant out of the European Union. It, multi-million dollars a decade or so ago to look at the application of automotive hybrid technologies in boats. Mm -hmm. And we, we did a lot of analyses of efficiencies of different technologies. For essentially, we're talking about creating energy, mm -hmm. whether it's for propulsion or house loads or whatever. And, um, and we uh, collected a bunch of numbers that showed so unbelievably inefficient it is to create the, this is kind of on the side of the project. It wasn't the focus. The focus was propulsion. But in, in the process, we got all these numbers on how unbelievably inefficient and expensive it is to generate electrical energy on boats for house loads. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then I started doing some numbers. I, actually, it was a transatlantic flight, and I was sketching some numbers down and, and doing some calculations. And I, and I came up with number of the cost of producing a kilowatt hour of energy on a boat. And, and I came out with like 10 to $20 where well, you pay 10 to 20 cents at home mm -hmm. for a kilowatt hour of energy. And I thought I had the decimal point in the wrong place. So I did the calculation again, and the decimal point ended in the same place. So I did it again and again, and I finally realized that this is really how much we were paying for generating electricity on boats. And, and then I started to think about how we could radically transform this and get closer to what it costs to get you know, a kilowatt hour of energy out of the wall. And, uh, and, and that spawned a whole lot of research and other developments over the years uh, and which lithium ion is a totally critical component because of all of the features that you and I both know about the high charge acceptance rates the high energy efficiency the high charge acceptance rates the high states of charge and the high discharge rates uh, all of these features within uh, lithium ion battery chemistry uh, make possible these energy systems that are just radically this is not, we're not talking quantitative improvements. We're talking qualitative changes uh, in terms of the energy systems we have on our boats for house loads. 
uh, and some of that spins off into propulsion, which is kind of where I started. But I realized the primary benefits of this technology were all in house systems mm -hmm. and what we could do with it. Why is there, I mean, I kind of know the answer. To yes, of there's there's more of an urgency <laughs> now to get these standards in and get yeah. this done. Uh, and okay, I'll just say it. Insurance companies are starting to have problems with lithium-ion batteries on boats. Yes. Uh, and the fundamental reason is because the electrolyte in a lithium-ion battery is flammable, and there are certain conditions that those batteries can go into, like overcharge or overdischarge or trying to charge in freezing temperatures. There's a whole variety of manufacturing defects, the whole, whole variety of conditions which can drive the battery into a situation where it's generating heat internally. And once it starts to do that, it's very difficult to stop. And that heat can rise to a level at which it sets a battery on fire. And, and we've all seen the news stories. And that's, if we come full circle, that's kind of back to where we started. That's where standards become so important to try and create a, a framework within which that will not happen. I mean, the whole goal of this is not to say how we deal with it if it happens, but to make sure we, it can't happen. We don't get to that point in the process. To recognize the problems, the inherent limitations of the technology, uh, and to make sure we just don't go there. And that's really the whole point of the standards process. Ultimately, the goal is a safe system that can be widely proliferated for boaters and obviously can be insured. You know, that's an important part of it. Yes. And so do you think that what the ABYC is doing now is sufficient to make that happen? Well, it obviously isn't. Uh, my insurance policy refused to renew my policy because of my lithium-ion batteries, and I know that's happening to other people. Um, so to that extent, we haven't created the level of confidence in the insurance industry that we have something that they can hang their hat on because, you know, they don't understand lithium-ion batteries. They just want to know that there's a standard out there with a sticker on the battery that says if it passes this particular standard, it's not going to catch fire and burn the boat down. But now there's the and E13 standard. The E13 standard does not go far enough to do that. If it did, we wouldn't be having insurance companies right now yanking insurance. Um, it's also a knee-jerk reaction on the part of the insurance industry. I think they've had a couple of... Uh, fire accident investigators have kind of ramped up the risk and, uh, and generated this reaction. But they've also had some claims. It's not so much the boat that catches fire that's the problem for them. It's if it's in a marina and sets light to six, under, six other boats. Mm -hmm. And they've had some very expensive claims. So it's a, like the nuclear industry. Um, a very low probability with a very high expense mm -hmm. is something you don't want to insure. And that's kind of where lithium-ion stands at the moment. It's a low probability, in my experience. Uh, I've been surprised, actually, at, given like the hoverboards and all these other things that catch fire. I've been surprised at how few fires we've had. So it's a low probability, but in certain environments, it's a high risk. And the insurers right now, you know, they're dealing with Hurricane Ida. They're dealing with all these other massive claims. Uh, they're getting beaten up in the boat world, and, and they just don't want to take the risk. So what we need is a standard which says is if the battery is built to this standard and it has this sticker on it, don't worry about it. Uh, and we, can, we know, you, you and I both know we can get there. 
yeah. it's not that big a deal. Yeah. Um, there are battery companies, including Battleborn, that already have the sticker. Um, uh, it's just a matter now of persuading the insurance industry that that's adequate. Mm-hmm. And the ABYC it's, standard is not adequate. So at what point does it make sense for the ABYC standard to comply with those other standards to make it more adequate for insurance companies? Or well, do you think that's not as important? At the end of the day, uh, the insurers will decide. Right. And it may be they decide that a UL what, 20, 10, 2054, is that what you're doing? Or a UL 1973? We, we, do, we do 2054, yeah. 62133, and yeah, we're working it, on that. They may decide that that's good yeah. enough. Well, I think either all, any of those is yeah. good enough. But, yeah. So I guess my point is how... But actually, sorry to interrupt, but then there are... Uh, the, the, uh, those standards relate to how the battery is built and tested. Mm-hmm. They don't relate to how it's installed in a boat. Right. And that's where the ABYC is really important because it addresses right. the installation all issues. The, that's right. Everything so else. So basically that... within the ABY standard, from my perspective, all we need to say is that in terms of battery construction, you need the sticker that says it was third-party tested mm-hmm. to whatever. Uh, and then we've got all the rest of the stuff in the standard, which says, and now you take that battery and you put it in a boat, and this is how you put it in the boat. I agree 100%. Yeah. That, that's not, I didn't bring you on here to say that, just so you know. Well, you know, I've been beating this drum. <laughs> I, gave you, I gave you some whiskey, and I know. finally I got you to say it. So I've been beating this drum for over 10 years. But. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. But yeah. um, so on that note, uh, I don't know if, there's, if you want to add anything else to that whole uh, endeavor that you've been going, this 14-year well, endeavor. So I, I'm... Really, the bit that I'm really fascinated by, the, the core issue that, that we're addressing here is the fire issue. I mean, everything else, you know, so the battery fails, lead acid batteries fail all the time. You know, we've been dealing with that for, for 50 years. And they cause uh, fires too. Yeah, and they can cause fires. I've got some, normally speaking, it's an explosion rather than a fire because mm-hmm. the hydrogen goes up. And it's not, unless, let's say it's very, very rare. Mm-hmm. I mean, we get lots of uh, hydrogen venting. We get very few explosions. Um, but the thing that, that will solve 90% of these problems associated with lithium-ion batteries are uh, non, non-flammable batteries. Uh, and that I know you have in the pipeline. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, how many years out are we on that? Well, we are... Uh, currently building our pilot line, and we should have cells off of the pilot line that are all solid state and non-flammable at some point next year. That's that's wow. the plan. So we yeah. are hoping to have it this year. Um, let's just say that the uh, um, the money situation delayed that a little bit, mm-hmm. um, yep. and so we're we're in a position that we're in a good position now to complete the pilot line to make those solid state mm-hmm. cells um, probably early next year. So that shifts the problem from being one of safety to one of performance. Right. Because then all we, care, all we care about is do these lithium-ion batteries do what we need them to do? That's, that's exactly why we're focusing on the same chemistry that we know performs, mm-hmm. which is lithium-iron phosphate and graphite. Yep. And ultimately, yep. we want the longevity. Yep. Um, the energy density is, is important. And, and in, but in, that's a performance issue. The so, energy density, but yeah, I think the lithium iron. So then we, is a you know, we just get to the general density. perception: is this battery better than my lead acid battery, or can right. I do better things with it? Right. Uh, but but the safety issue goes away. Yes. And that and that's the the core thing here, is that one way and another we solve the safety issue either through testing and stickers and standards, 
or through construction. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of it is just a market judgment on performance. Mm-hmm. I mean, is this battery worth the money? Mm-hmm. Right. Yes or no? Right. Uh, and, you know, from a from my perspective, if, if it's a lithium-ion battery and it's got similar performance characteristics to what we have in the market today, it opens up a whole new world of energy systems that's just radically better than anything we had in the past. Right. Well, thank you for saying that. I mean, that's all our whole right. premise is we're making these batteries yeah. so that they can be widely deployed in people's homes, yep. you know, in, in like large systems under your bedroom, in yep. your garage or something. So yep. that even if there is a fire in the home, that that won't necessarily yes. contribute to yep. fire. And, it's, and then from a safety perspective, it's no different than putting a lead-acid battery, and we've been doing that for 100 and something years, and nobody worries about it. Would you like some samples when they come out? <laughs> That's called bribery and corruption. No. <laughs> Look, I would love to test some samples. You'll have one of the first, you'll have one of the first dibs yeah. on that. And, and I promise to beat the shit out of it. Because that's Please what do. I do. That's what they're, that's what they're for. <laughs> I try to make things fail. Awesome. As long well, as I don't think I'll lose my boat over it. Lose your boat? They're, they're with, with lithium-ion, current lithium-ion technology, you know, if you... You never you, know. You never know. Yeah, so, so I'm a little cautious with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, with lead acid, for example, I have destroyed thousands and thousands of dollars worth of batteries over the year just by pushing them to the limits and see what happens. Right. Well, at least you're knowledgeable enough to know to look for that sticker on the yes. battery pack when you get yes. them. So. Yes. So, well, great. Thank you so much, uh, Nigel, for joining the podcast. And uh, it's always a pleasure. Well, thank you for only the, the R&D you're doing because I, until I came here, I had no idea how much you're investing in R&D. And uh, uh, you're the, uh, the one with the arrows in the back. And so this R&D you're, you're doing will pay off for everybody in the boating community in the long term. And, and it's terrific. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's going to do it for today's episode. Be sure to subscribe to the Limitless Energy Podcast on any of your favorite podcast platforms.